0: This is the Sound the Foghorn
1: Podcast. A by Hayda, Spurgeon's in, delays, shoots one, he scores! Jared Spurgeon has tied it!
0: Your number one podcast for the Minnesota Wild. Proud to select with the ninth pick in the 2020 draft from the Ottawa 67s of the OHL, Marco Rossi. Covering their prospects, the NHL, AHL, news, notes, and much more.
2: Viala's in for Minnesota. Viala cuts to the middle, waits, scores! For Dusev.
1: Shabasov shoots, he scores! He scores! Played here by Danny Heatley, and now they come two on one. This is Niederreiter holding on to it, and he scores! Nino Niederreiter wins the series for the Minnesota
0: World. Now, here are your hosts, Brett Marshall, Zeke Boyack, and Justin Buck, and welcome in season three. Sound the foghorn. New intro got me pumped up. I'm excited, guys. We're here. It's our first season within A Wild Season. I'm pumped. Justin,
2: how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Especially my Monday for work. Uh, man, I'm pumped up after that intro. I it makes me excited for the season here in, you know, Fiala, Kaprizov, Dumba, all that. Just, man, you did a great job on it. Appreciate it. Zeke, man, how you doing?
1: I'm doing great as well. Just, you know, like you guys, I'm just really pumped to have hockey back here next week, have something to watch, something to do, and... Uh, it's going to be great to get back into talking about it here tonight.
0: Yeah, guys, we are pumped. Lots of new stuff in store for you uh, here in season three, which, as I mentioned before, will be our first season within a wild season. Obviously, it's the best time for podcasting because there's news, there's reactions, there's injuries, there's trades, there's everything that happens. Plus, with COVID, things will be different. So it should be a fun season. We've got tons of new things in store, including some new segments, one of which will uh make its appearance today. Um, we are in the works of developing um, some merchandise for you guys to buy, including stickers, mugs, T-shirts. Uh, we threw out a jersey teaser. That could happen, too. Um, so Season 3 is going to be be pretty sweet. So if, if you're a first-time listener, welcome. If you're returning from one of the previous two, thank you for still being here. Glad to hear you haven't uh, gotten too sick of us yet. But uh, with a lot to get into today, I don't want to waste too much time. Uh, so let's jump in. I think the most prominent news guys, Matt Boldy is a gold medalist.
2: Matthew Goldy,
0: Matthew Goldie, <laughs> baby. Uh, Casey been under a rock um, during the holidays, um, which, Hey, I don't blame you. Maybe it was the only time to take a break, but the world juniors uh, did happen in Edmonton and the United States uh, beat the super team Canada in the gold medal game. And the wilds Rion Matt Boldy uh, did, was on that team and did come away with a gold medal. So, guys, let's start with the World Juniors. Uh, should we talk about Boldy first or last? I'll, I'll leave it up to you guys. All right, uh, let's save to- the best for last. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. So so let's start uh, maybe at the bottom of the totem pole with maybe some of the more disappointing performances, and then we'll work our way up to the good news. So let's start, obviously, with – I don't even know if I want to call it disappointment, but Marco Rossi. Doesn't come away with a point. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think it's much fault of his own. Austria just got dominated. In that tournament there's nothing no other way you can
1: yeah. put it I mean like you said it was it's hard to from a fan standpoint to really put much blame on him because you would you know you'd watch the games and I mean you know he was he was in the defensive zone working hard uh you know on on the boards deep you know playing good defensively and you know a lot of times I mean, people were making comments as like you know why isn't he you know cheating for offense trying to carry the puck it's like well I mean that's you know just not the player he is and you'd look when when he would get the puck or when someone on his team would get the puck, they'd, I mean, one himself, he'd have like two guys on him right away. And, you know, even if he would get it to a teammate if they were open, you know, a lot of it, I mean, no offense to that team, but they didn't seem to have very many guys who could do much of anything, obviously. So, you know.
0: Yeah, I believe it was something crazy. Like, I think through their four games, they had maybe like 40 shots, I think, or something in 12 periods. And I think Rossi had like 10 of them. Yeah, he so Like <laughs> he still had a quarter of the team shots. And like, even in small samples, when he was in his own zone, he still was mm-hmm. moving guys off pucks. It seems when they did have a scoring chance outside the one goal, it seems like he was the one either, you know, carrying it in the zone, setting up the guy, generating the rebound. It seemed like he was the one always involved. Like even if you listen to broadcast so like, that's kind of been, the, it was the same thing we're saying is like, yeah, we haven't really been able to see what he can do, but like in the samples that we've had, he's looked good.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: and it was more we got to see kind of his defensive game maybe not much of the offensive game but I, th- I think it leads to encouragement I mean he he still looked good mm-hmm. in areas where he was able to show what he could do he, he didn't yeah. look bad defensively by any means and I think that that should be the encouraging thing we take away from from Marco Rossi yeah. and right
1: I guess it just you know people I think in general just uh, overreact to these four to six games uh, sample size which you know is you know it's it's good to see him play well, obviously, and produce. But uh, I mean, don't forget he's the guy who put up 120 points in last year in the OHL. So let's not forget that.
0: Right. right. When you look at a team like Canada, who's blowing teams out. It's like, yeah, obviously, all these guys are have good mm-hmm. stat lines and what have you. And I think it's more important to look out, look at, okay, what was that player doing that led to him scoring six goals or whatever mm-hmm. else, not just, oh, he, you know, he tapped in some rebounds at his
2: line mates set up. agree. No. Yeah. I mean, all right. I'm sorry. I was saying go ahead. you could no, see like his skill though, still, like he was hard to like knock off the puck and he was strong along the boards and puck battles. And, you know, he may have been like on an Island on that team for the most part, but, What I was impressed with was like even with his interviews, like on the bench and all that, you could see his leadership qualities. He wasn't like cussing people out or looking flustered or frustrated or, you know, he was, you know, cool headed, calm. I found something interesting, and this was in Tony Abbott's article. Um, He created 24 zone entries, entering with control on 14 of them, which is 58% that ranks him as one of the best transition players in the tournament. So even with the team he was on, uh, you could, you know, there's still things that show his his skill.
0: Yeah, and I think that's something I'm really curious to see how how and if the Wild kind of adapt that new style of play. I, I think I've said this in the show before. I think the the off the rush offense is kind of the new wave of offense. You see the best mm-hmm. teams in the league like like Colorado, like Tampa Bay, they're not teams that are really cycling on you anymore and being hard in the corners. It's been a lot more off the rush, coming in with speed. And I think you're seeing the Wild have added, you know, better skaters. If Tucker want mm-hmm. to get faster, get younger, and I think that could be maybe kind of a hint at, you know, hey, we want to, you know, we want to use guys like Fiala who have skill and oh, yeah. speed like crazy. Right. Maybe generate more chances off the rush. And it's great to see Rossi that could fit right into that mold. If oh, the Wild go that way, we'll have to watch and see if that mm-hmm. happens. <laughs> And then one more thing I just want to get to um, if you've been following me on Twitter, I've been doing my best to completely shit on uh, Ken Campbell, a writer for um, the hockey news who basically has been just like putting out the worst possible takes on Twitter related to hockey, whether it be like on someone's Mm -hmm. number or in um, the one he got really pooped on for um, was basically saying like teams like Austria and Germany and Switzerland shouldn't play in the world juniors. And this like, I want to give my two cents and we'll see if you guys differ. But yeah. I think it's, I mean, to me, I think it all it all comes down to, do the players feel like they shouldn't be there? Because when I listened to players like Rossi, um, I believe Marco Casper was the name of one of the guys I interviewed. They couldn't have been more prideful uh, to have been there. Uh, representing Austria. And then we also have a, a, a friend of the pod, um, Frederick Fransen I believe is his name, who's from, uh, I believe it's Nor- is it Norway or Denmark. I think it's Denmark, yeah. Denmark, Denmark, Denmark. Mm-hmm. who penned a letter and basically said, like, when Denmark was in the tournament, like, it lit hockey on fire in our country. And, like, it was really important in terms of just growing the game in those countries. And that's the game, That's the the thing I'm if The players love it, if the fans love it. yeah, They don't care that they lose ain't nothing. It's the fact that they're there. Mm-hmm. I think that's what's most important. Do you guys differ or have anything to add?
2: No man, I, I I feel the same. Like Ken Campbell is just <laughs> terrible. Thing. Like I saw something like putting like a team Europe together. That would that not that wouldn't make it the same. Like you you, you got to be prideful for your country, play for your country, and these kids are doing that. And whether they're getting blown out or you know winning gold, they're all there for the same reason.
1: Yeah. And I agree with you guys. I mean, I kind of a couple of points I have about this. I mean, you know, the, the first example I can kind of think of in, you know, in Switzerland where, you know, they're generally, I mean, I think they're actually, they're better than teams like Germany and in Austria and all this, but generally they're not obviously one of the powerhouses. And, you know, with them being at this tournament several times that helped them produce a Nico Huescher, who is the highest picked Swiss player of all time at first overall and the only Swiss player to be picked first overall. So I think there's, you know, that from that aspect too there's obviously something to be said that you know like like uh, frederick was saying in his article that when they play in this tournament back home in their home countries you know people are watching you know the there's millions of people watching like i think they said there was in finland even at like 4 a.m there i mean that's a little bit different but still there was like i think one and a half two million of the you know not very large population relative to like the u.s watching that game early in the morning like that so you know i, I obviously i disagree with you know, that guy's takes as well. And, and to be honest, like, like you said, you know, the, the kids are just they're I mean, they're kids and they're just happy to be there. And knowing from experience, uh, my last couple of years of hockey and junior gold getting blown out uh, pretty much every game, like 10, nothing, uh, you know, you're still playing hockey. You're still playing the game you love. So I just, people just need to leave the kids alone. Like, come on.
0: Yeah. And I think a- another really good point that uh, Frederick made in his post was that for a lot of these kids, like they're not going to play professional hockey. So for mm. them, like this could be the pinnacle of their hockey career, and why would you take right. that away from them? And to me, right. that was one of the things like I didn't really really think about until you pointed out. I'm like, right. that's an excellent point. Like that could be the equivalent of mm-hmm. getting drafted. And then the final point I want to make them this before we move on to the next prospect was like Germany's kind of come up in this conversation, but I think you're tr- you're starting to see what the impact that has the World Juniors has on growing a hockey country. Look at Germany, mm-hmm. who yeah. you know in in the Pyeongchang Olympics took Russia to the gold. Granted you know it was a really weird mix of players that year with the NHL not playing there but and now they've just produced you know the the NHL MVP controversial it is whatever <laughs> but they just have an NHL MVP and Leon Dreisaitl. Tim Stutzla just went third overall in the draft John Jason Paterka looks like a star so, um we didn't get we didn't get to see uh, Lucas Reichel in that term as well another first rounder like Germany starting to become a hockey mm-hmm. country and i think a lot of that can be attributed to the world juniors and kind of helping it grow the game within that country as we see kind of starting more young players come through uh, there as well. Agreed. 100%. All right, so a little bit of deviation off prospects, but uh, an important rant there by all of us. Uh, the next player we're going to talk about, who I think to me was probably, if you really want to talk about a player that disappointed, was um, Vladislav Firstov uh, for mm-hmm. Team Russia. Uh, I did not have a point and believe in five games played. No. We saw him be a healthy scratch a couple times. It was just kind of a bummer. Like, it just... It seemed like he really had a chance to kind of be effective in that maybe like a middle six role, but mm-hmm. his spot kinda of got taken him, I believe. Um might have been by Rodian Amaroff, I believe, of yeah. uh, Toronto Prosper that kind of basically took his spot.
1: I'll be I guess I'll be honest, like, you know, I still think he's always been a bit of a project in terms of his NHL potential and whatnot. And I think another kind of point is I believe this was his first time playing for any kind of a Russian national team. You know, that he's, is very he's true. Cause he's played in the in the ushl and over in college in the united states and based off of we know how i mean you know it's a junior team of what we kind of know about hockey over in russia that they're not as much as you know about development and they generally go with you know the best guys that they have there so i think there's you know a little bit of a probably bias toward the guys that kids who are playing in the khl and the image and all that but the, yeah no you, you're right i mean you know he wasn't particularly noticeable really at all unfortunately
2: right. That's a good point I mean it makes sense you see guys like Latnia you know, over there that aren't getting crap for minutes and uh, you know hovanov who may not stay in Russia after you know a certain point they're they're just not getting minutes or're called up or mm-hmm. so that certainly makes sense and it, it was disappointing seeing firstovv get scratched so much i was I was pretty excited that he made the team like I wasn't sure if he would or not but just the, the season even he had at UConn last year being like third on the team and scoring as a freshman I was like but well, let's see what he can do in the tournament. And it just kept felt like he kept getting scratched or just limited ice time. And then when he was out there, just not much was happening. So, I mean, it was kind of disappointing in that aspect.
0: Yeah, and I think one thing you can attribute to it too, I think he did come into camp a little bit late. And then, I don't know also if you guys saw um... – the article from Jillian Kemmerer, she covers uh, the KHL really fun follow on Twitter. If you want to keep mm-hmm. um, in, in touch with, with kind of Russia and hockey over there. But she basically said that if you didn't know Igor Laryanov, part of the 1980 Olympic team uh, for the Soviet union uh, was the coach. And he basically tried to coach that team into playing the old Russian style, which is a style I'm sure first off yeah. wasn't playing in the USH on So there could have been, an, you know, just didn't get to fully adapt to that system too, which I think could have been, uh, another piece of of that
1: puzzle.
0: I so. mm-hmm. Want to see if I could find one more thing here. on uh, Scott Wheeler and Corey Promen did some follow-ups. Uh, mm-hmm. Prospect writers for The Athletic. Um, here's what he said about Vladislav. Uh, this is uh, Scott Wheeler on Vladislav first off. He said, and though his minutes were limited throughout, making it tough on him, he looked completely out of sorts on the ice. The lack of touches because he wasn't getting regular shift played a role in all likelihood. Had some other things as well. Go um, feel free to read that. That's in his uh, World Juniors notebook. Um, we also have some really good things to say about Matt mm-hmm. Boldia, uh, which we'll get to here in a little bit. But yeah, I think we can chalk it up. I think we summed up well, partially maybe to the system, but also partially just not taking advantage when he did get that opportunity. Mm-hmm. I think part of being a professional is being able to adapt to different systems, and he just showed at this at this point in time he just wasn't quite able to make that adjustment when he needed to. Yep. All right, next we'll get into kind of our next tier of players here. Uh, we'll call them the uh, the Pleasant Surprises. Um, and we'll start here with uh, Pavel Novak, who I think was probably kind of the least talked about prospect uh, out of the last draft. He was a fourth-round pick, but looked like he belonged with that Czech team. I believe he finished with three points in five games, mm-hmm. a goal and two assists. So, And I believe he technically would be considered an underage or two was still having eligibility next year. Um because he'll be 19. He's a 2002 mm-hmm. birthday. So uh, what were your guys' impressions of, of Pavel Novak? And I know for me it was kind of the first time I've really seen him play.
2: Uh, for me it was the same, uh, same as you, first time seeing him play. I knew that he was like third in rookies in WHL scoring last year, but I had never actually seen him play in a game. And, I mean, like you said, he looks like he belonged, and he's not afraid to shoot the puck. That's something I noticed is he'll kind of shoot it from anywhere and everywhere.
1: Yeah I mean obviously the same I haven't uh, seen him play either but you know from all the scouting reports it seemed kind of the same thing that uh, he's kind of a little bit of a raw player right now but like you said he has the good offensive talent a good shot and can move the puck and I guess I don't know for sure but I feel like what I remember is a lot of the the, in the, the articles after the draft was that his skating is maybe kind of the main concern with him right now so I mean obviously he's. 18 or 19 years old but uh, there's definitely some from what you could tell in the game some kind of offensive potential there down the road if they can uh, develop them well all right
0: yeah i think you guys hit the nail on the head i I didn't see much defensively from him but you know he his goal was a really nice shot from kind of the left side he Mm. went top corner with it he's got a good shot seems to have pretty decent offensive awareness good offensive iq so i think you know, he's young, he's gonna be a bit of a project, but I think there's some good potential there. And I think we've talked about on this show before, pretty much any time if you find a player beyond the first round and they play NHL games, you can consider it a pretty decent pick, especially once you get beyond the third and yeah. those fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh rounds. Mm-hmm. Um you can consider anything you find there to be kind of a, a gem, if you will. So it was a good turn from him. I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do kind of uh, hopefully he gets to play um in the uh, was it OHL or right? He's OHL. Uh, and yeah, yeah, Kelowna, I believe, right? Yeah,
2: Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so hopefully Kelowna, he gets a
0: chance to play. I know that's still in flux in Canada, but wherever he plays, hopefully we see we yeah. see more and and I hope he gets a chance to go back and represent the Czechs again next year as well.
2: Uh, yeah, and if uh, he doesn't play in the W, he's he's been playing the Czech two league, so he'll have at least that. And then oh, I just want to add one thing with the prospects page. One of our admins is a guy that lives in the Czech. He's the main admin, and uh, we're trying to reach out. To him for comments about the World Juniors because we had interviewed him, you know, basically after he got drafted. So hopefully we get that in the works and kind of look out for that quite possibly. Cool, cool. good stuff there. All
0: right, now let's move into the wild player prospects who shown the most in uh, in the World Juniors, and it was two of the teams that played in the medal games. We'll start with Murat Husnadinov, who at just 18 years old was playing on Russia's first line. Another player that has eligibility next year. He looked great to me. He was, speed was as advertised. He helped create offense on that top line uh, with Vasily Colson and, um, who my blinking it was on this Amirov. other wing. Uh, yeah, Amirov. Um, they look good. He was playing power play, he was playing penalty kill. He was getting all situations, and I thought he looked pretty good, especially for being, uh, an underager, if you will.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I thought I really liked his uh, game as well, and, uh, the only, the only thing is, you know, the last couple of games, I mean, Russia as a whole, I mean, not just himself, were not very good. So his game kind of wasn't as great in those two games. But aside from that, I mean, like you said, is very fast, uh, good playmaker, has a lot of good puck skills. And, uh, you know, obviously the only thing is, you notice that, I mean, he is obviously very small. I think he's like 5'9", like 165, 170, so... I mean, like, as we already know, but I mean, that's like, I think Brett said this too. He was one of the younger players picked last year, but no, I was, he kind of risen up on my, I guess, you know, list in terms of prospects that I'm really intrigued in after this tournament.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Like when I watched him, I had only seen highlights of him, and what really I noticed was his shiftiness. Like he kind of reminds me of like Jason Zucker, the way he would make zone entries with the puck. Like he just, I don't know the way he just, with the puck, like sideways, backwards, whatever he can do to just try and get around the defender. Yeah, even like
0: I think kind of a similar similarity I can make is to Marco Rossi, in that though they're small, like they don't seem to let that get in their way too much, at least the amateur level. Mm-hmm. We saw them kind of using their body, their hips to box players out to win races to the puck, and it was awesome to see. Yeah, I think who's he Exciting, like I still don't think he's probably a top six center. But I think he's a guy that could be really effective as kind of, you know, a a scoring third or fourth line guy, a guy that can probably kill penalties. And and if you need it you know, if you need to fill in for a game or something or a guy that can be moved around because at his speed, you know, we hear a lot of the knocks on wild prospects because they're skating. It's the opposite of Fuzan His Skating is one of his his strengths, Mm -hmm. and I think that's exciting. All right, let's get into the player who blew not only – Minnesota Wild fans off their feet, but the whole hockey world, the scouting community raved about Matt Boldy. Uh, if you haven't noticed, we updated our uh, our Twitter display name for a couple of days here just to to pay our respects uh, to Matt Goldie. We are the Matt Boldy Fan Cast for this week. We'll be going back uh, after this show is released, but he was fantastic. I, uh, I'll kick it over. I, whoever wants to go first to just kind of give your thoughts um, on Matt Boldy and just all the good things that he did in this tournament. I mean.
2: Reading, I don't know if you guys read the article on him, but just, like, the amount of work he put in in the offseason just kind of shows, like, he had that tough first half last year, had the good second half, and he's, like, built off that second half into this World Junior Tournament, and, like, I was really impressed with just, it seemed like guys just bounced right off of him, and, like, his board play was insane, like, that last 30 seconds in the gold medal game when he had the the puck pinned against the boards and, like, like one were, on three, like, move him. Like, he was just, like, dominating that board play in the last 30 seconds and helped them finish off that game. But just his vision and just, it just seems like all around game is just really good.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with all that. I mean, I think the, the main kind of point, uh, I don't have too much more to add, is that uh, I think it was. Brad, who tweeted this out either on his own account or on the podcast account where he said that, you know, he's a forward version of Jared version, And I thought that was, you know, very well said. And, you know, kind of a good comparison in that sense that he's, you know, he's got skill, but I think he's more of a not there's not one standout thing about his game that is, you know, I think particularly one above the other. He's just an all around like great player. And like Justin was just saying, you know, play when he's behind the net with the puck, he, you know, he. Kinda, of especially on that power play. That's where he's positioned a lot of times. Was, he was either front of the net or kind of back there, you know, making making a lot of great passes, a lot of great plays. And I think he's, you know, I think there are some concerns about his, you know, overall foot speed as his skating comes to term. But you know, I think that'll be developed. And I, like I, I think I told you guys, I think he's kind of the, from what I've seen in that term, I think he's kind of like the perfect complement to some of the more like kind of smaller like finesse and skill guys that the the Wilds currently have in the team. So it was, no, he's he was great. He's great.
0: Yeah. And we have confirmed uh, from his mom uh, that Matt (laughs) Boldy is six feet, two inches. Um, That is what he's also listed on and uh, on elite prospects. So we're going to go with that weight as well. 194. I think he's really starting to develop kind of into this power forward. And I know we talk every Mm -hmm. year about, you know, we thought it was Jordan Greenway. We thought it was Charlie Coyle. But I think like when you think of all the things that a power forward does well, I think Matt Boldy's starting to hit all, all this stuff. I mean, I don't think we can talk enough about how good he was below the goal line. Like you said, mm-hmm. like people just people could not get him off the puck. Yeah. I mean, he would go in there; he'd come out with pucks um, on the power play, like below the goal line. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, like if Matt Boldy had more than two seconds below the goal line, other yeah. teams are shitting their pants because he was either going <laughs> to step out and go between the legs, top shelf on a pass, or he's going to dish on a no look to the back door to a wide open Arthur Kolyev, like. His just awareness of where guys are, how plays develops, where to be, when to shoot, when to pass. Like he was just fantastic. Mm -hmm. He looked like he's going to be an excellent asset on the Minnesota Wild power play. Uh, The speed to me isn't concerning because I think he's going to make up for that and everything else that he does well. And it's winning battles in the corners. Like I know we talked a little bit earlier about getting away from that, but you know you're going to have to forecheck at some point and put him with a faster guy. Um, I think that that line composition they had with with uh, Maddie Beniers and Cole Coffee was wonderful. I mean, Beniers was kind of the guy that was. I mean, you want to talk about a guy that was controlling the puck on zone entries. Oh, yeah. Beniers was awesome in the Wild to draft him. Um, <laughs> yeah, twenty one <2021 laughs> draft. Uh, he was the one carrying the puck in. You know, Caulfield served as a distraction, to open up ice for. You know whether it was Bowley taking shots or whether it's Beniers. And then it was usually Boldy Maneers in the forecheck trying to get to Caulfield. Like that line composition just worked. Mm-hmm. And I think if you can get the wild, if you can find the center, Hey, Marco Rossi, maybe. Um, and a guy like Fiala off that kind of that sniper type, I think uh, there's a real chance for a bully to be successful, even with, you know, some, some off foot speed, if
2: you will. Sure. Yeah. Another thing that stood out to me off the top of my head was that, that block shot he had where he just laid out for it. The, the bench basically just, just like he awesome. rubbed it. Like you could hear it on the, on the mic. Like they, they were so excited on the bench when he, he just laid out for that puck. God.
1: Yeah, I think, oh yeah, I just like saying, I think that goes back to what I was saying earlier. That's just an all-around great player. And, uh, you know, as Brett was saying on his line with uh, Cole Caulfield and Matt Nears, I think in that gold medal game against Canada, I feel like for the first 10 minutes, the Canes were kind of had the puck in the offensive zone most time. And I think it was that line on that one shift with uh, Boldy out there that they, you know, had a, hard forecheck into the zone and kept the puck in there and you know that for like two for like a minute and a half and that eventually led to their first goal so you know I think that pretty much summed up the tournament for those guys
0: yeah that line was fantastic um the stat sheet definitely favored Boldy finished with five goals two assists I know there was some like Cole Caulfield didn't score as much but I think him Mm -hmm. being on the ice on the power play with Boldy on on the line it created lanes for Boldy so yeah any shade I throw at Caulfield, please know this, is totally sarcastic. <laughs> I think both great players. They're different types of players. And I really hope, for both their sakes, they do really well and don't. And I hope that Wild fans don't con- continuously compare these two seriously. Yeah. If you do it ironically, go for it. I know uh, a couple friends of the show um, do it as well with with the ironic comparisons. But um, they're two different types of players. They both play great. The USA was the best team in that tournament, I think. I, they, they proved against Canada. They looked like the better team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there were some arguments, oh, well, Canada lost Doc and they wouldn't let the frontier come. Well, Jack Hughes was still eligible. He didn't go. Um, Thomas Borderlow, who I believe is a top mm-hmm. available player for this coming draft, didn't. It wasn't able to go because of COVID. So the U.S. was missing guys just like the Canadians were. And, and uh, so blast of a tournament. We had a blast covering it mm-hmm. uh, on, on the podcast channel. Justin was covering it for Wild Prospects. So hopefully you were turning into to those two accounts and, and were able to get your fix. Um, I think we gained almost hundred followers from the time that tournament started. So I've seen that people liked it. Thanks for tuning in. But if you haven't watched the Real juniors before, and if for some reason you missed them this year, like next you have to watch them. It's some of the most fun hockey you'll watch, especially when there's fans. Cause like just the energy those kids have like representing their countries and especially mm-hmm. in those rivalry games into the metal rounds. Like it's, it's, it's a ton of fun. The atmosphere and energy is like, I, it might be a step above like the state hockey tournament for me. Like it's, it's that good. We're pretty close
2: to it, at least. 1A, 1B. And then uh,
0: if you look <laughs> at the,
2: the tournament for next year, the the groups have already been released for next year's tournament. So yep,
0: you can kind of keep And I believe the only goals. change, basically, is Austria and Switzerland are flipping right. pools. I think the rest is the same.
2: Yeah. And basically, I think, off the top of my head, uh, who's Nadinev? Uh, yeah, Novak, Damon Hunt, and Ryan O'Rourke should be uh, eligible on top of, you know, any other player that we draft next, this coming draft.
0: Yeah, and I would assume Husindinov, being he was the first line center this year, mm-hmm. as long as he's allowed to go, which I don't know why he wouldn't be, um, should be a lock. Novak, same thing. Um, Ryan O'Rourke was extremely close this year. Sounds like he could have even been, you know, the kind of one of the final cuts um, from the defensive group. Um, it sounds like he, I th- would think he's got a pretty good chance next year, and We'll see if Hunt's got a chance, but, uh, and then like you said, with two first rounders this year, uh, there's a good chance we could have, you know, four, five, six players again in the tournament. Oh next yeah. year. So Absolutely. maybe a Swedish goaltender, but anyway, yes, but well <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're, already, we're developing our pre, yeah. uh, 2021 draft crushes already here. Uh, and yeah. veneers oh, would be a great first round. Would love it. Oh. Would love it, love it, but there's lots of prospects, but that's for, uh, little bit down the line here uh <laughs> right i think guys anything else to add about uh the world juniors here before we uh move on i think we uh i think we did a pretty good job there I think yeah we got think we got it. It. all right so next up for us tonight um justin we'll kick it over to you here on uh, our non-world junior uh updates we still had some wild prospects going over in and college hockey while this is going on. So, uh, for those non world juniors players, uh, what, what do you got for us?
2: I got a few things and a little thing at the end we can maybe discuss for a quick minute, but, uh, you know, we had actually two, three, five players that had some pretty good weeks or two weeks, you know, Svetlikov, he had a big three point game Sunday and I believe he scored the game winning goal in that game. And then Manel has, uh, the last two games, he's got four points. They're all assists, but he seems to be, you know, munching the minutes over in Dynamo still, and and uh, still picking up points. And then it sounds like Ivan Ladien is going to be leaving the KHL and joining the Iowa Wild camp, so he won't be over there to pay attention to. But he'll be over in the Iowa side. Um, also, Hovanov looks like he'll stay in Russia, and he actually scored the game-winning goal in their VHL game today. So we won't see him in Iowa, but we can still, you know, pay attention to him over in Russia. And then Philip Johansson, he's hey. been on a pretty good tear lately offensively. You know, whoop, whoop. probably isn't mm-hmm. something we can expect to continue. But he's got six points in his last six games and scored a game-winning goal in that span. So you know, maybe he's just trying to make up for Lucas Raymond being at the World Juniors or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then yeah, so, someone's got to fill the void. Yeah,
1: exactly.
2: <laughs> and Swaining Henches faced each other in a split decision this past weekend, and, you know, they both picked up, you know, a couple points each. And of course, they both like to shoot the puck, so they picked up quite a bit, quite a bit, number of shots on goal. So, yeah, and then uh, this last piece is just kind of something I saw. If the CHL seasons get canceled, you know, we could see some teenagers in the NHL on the taxi squads and such. Um, you guys think we could see Adam Backman on there? Because I, I feel like he he'd be eligible for this along with like O'Rourke, Novak, and Guskov. But Guskov's going to be in the KHL. Novak will probably be in the Czech League. And then I don't know what will happen with O'Rourke, but I feel like Adam Beckman could possibly be on the taxi squad. I
0: want to say even read somewhere that they would be AHL eligible potentially. Yeah, I think they're considering
1: that, yeah.
0: Or at least, yeah, it's in consideration. So, yeah, I, I they got to get him playing somehow. Well, that's right. practice squad, AHL, like – Adam Beckman can't not
2: play this year. No. That's, that's, that's long for the one short, I think. Not after winning the WHL MVP. He needs that ice time to continue that development. It's, it's been pretty frustrating to see him not, not play anywhere. I mean, <laughs> not making Team Canada and then just the WHL. They would have
0: won if they would have played him.
2: Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. So, yeah, that's all I got on the prospects at this moment. All right, and then
0: I'll, I'll add something here, maybe not totally on the prospect front, but just – uh. In AHL news, um, some slight developments out of the AHL this week. Uh, the Charlotte Checkers, Milwaukee Admirals, and Springfield Thunderbirds. So that's the affiliate of the Panthers, Predators, and then Hurricanes, uh, right? Springfield, I believe, is now St. Louis. Because nope. um, the Checkers are now Florida. So those three teams uh, opted out for the 2021 season. They will play back uh, next year, uh, which means there's been a little bit of divisional realignment for the Iowa Wild. Um, They will now be playing a hybrid of who is the Chicago Wolves, Milwaukee Admirals. So a combination of the Hurricanes and Panthers prospects and uh, AHLers will make up a team, Uh, Iowa, Cleveland, who is Columbus's affiliate, Grand Rapids, who is Detroit's affiliate, Uh, Rockford, who I believe is Vegas, I want to say, then Texas, who is the affiliate of Dallas. So a little bit of realignment there. And then uh, the AHL suspected to pick up play, I believe, on February fifth of two thousand twenty-one, so a couple weeks after the NHL starts. So, uh, although it's AHL players, that's when we can look forward to them playing. And I believe they're doing the same in the NHL, where they're not going to move around; they're just going to play uh, within
1: the division. So,
0: any do you think that impacts anything, or just kind of with what it is for the AHL?
1: Well, I guess I don't know if you mentioned it, but isn't like there like a maximum of forty games and minimum of twenty-four? Is that a- like the 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 report is or something like? I can't. So I feel like I remember there was a, I was seeing a bunch of things on Twitter that, you know, they're not, uh, obviously because of potential cancellation and all that, they're not, it's not like a set schedule necessarily of games. I think it's just, I think they're basically all committing to the minimum of 24 if I can remember it.
0: That sounds right. Yeah, I don't have it in front of me, but Mm -hmm. um, let's see, there's something on the website here I'll click on. Yeah, there isn't a whole lot on the AHL website, but yeah, I think something like that sounds sounds right. I believe so. Hopefully, they can get that going because, like we said, I mean, and it's been said everywhere. Like, it's important for these young players. You know, if you're from 18 to 21, those are you know three of your most important development years, and not playing is means mm-hmm. you're not oh. developing. So, for sure. absolutely. All right, so uh, our next segment is going to be one of our new segments. This is one that I'll kind of lead. Um, And then uh, Zeke and Justin are kind of going to be in the same boat as the listeners. Uh, It's going to be called A Few Minutes of Analytics. And each week I will be introducing a commonly used uh, advanced stat, explaining it so you can hopefully understand it, know where to find it, how to interpret it. Um, So the one that we are going to focus on today is called war, which stands for wins above replacement. starting with this one because I think it's one of kind of the most commonly used right now, ones that you'll see used um, if you follow analytics accounts. Uh, basically in the simplest of terms that I could think that I could think of a way to put it, it assigns a value of how many wins, either more or less, a player is worth over an 82 game season compared to a replacement level player. And that a replacement player is basically thought of as a 13th forward. So think your Victor Rasks of the world uh, or a seventh defenseman. Think of like the Greg Patterns of the world. Um, it's a stat that kind of originated in baseball and then within kind of the last like three to five years has been brought into the hockey world. There's a couple different models that use war, the one I'll be focusing on. Uh, was developed by Josh and Luke Youngren, better known to the hockey world as uh, the Evolving Wild, Evolving Hockey Twins. You may be familiar with them. Uh, they are Minnesotans. They have been kind of pioneers in creating publicly available advanced stats for the hockey world on their website, evolving hockey.com. Um, the site is through Patreon, has a small monthly paywall to access it. I think it's like five bucks a month. Would highly recommend a subscription to it. Um, if you're looking for a way to kind of get started in analytics, there's a lot of great, fun tools there for you uh, to look at. And then uh, I've actually talked to Josh and Luke about getting uh, on this podcast sometime in the future. We're hoping maybe sometime in February after that. So we'll have them on hopefully sometime uh, this this year for sure um, to talk about uh, just the wild and analytics uh, through their eyes as as some of the great minds in it. But uh, moving on, um, a lot of other advanced stats kind of go into war to make the number, but I'm not going to delve too much into those. Basically just know is that it kind of it evaluates the players impact on basically driving offense, whether that's goals, opportunities, and then on the flip side, suppressing chances defensively. So how many quality shots are they allowing? Suppressing that kind of thing. And it does it both at even strength and special teams. Guys, have I lost anywhere so far? No
2: Players mud. No,
0: I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so let's throw some of this into context. Let's use some wild players as an example. We'll start with Marcus Foligno, who is a defensive wizard. Um, and war's one of the few ways we can start to kind of quantify defense. It's really easy to look at a guy like Connor McDavid and like, yeah, he scores 100 points a year. He's obviously a valuable player. But what we can't always see is like, is d- defense. And we can use plus, minus, blah block shots, which can be subjective. War can kind of give us an introduction to evaluating defensive players. And we sent Marcus Foligno, who has a war of 1.4, um, which basically if you compare that to a 13th forward, um, on average um, he's worth 1.4 more wins over an 82-game season. Uh, for a second example, let's take Jared Spurgeon, who had one of the best war, um, wars among all NHL defensemen last year at 2.5. Um, which was 11th best in the NHL among defensemen, meaning if you were to take someone, like if you take him out of the lineup and replace him with a Greg Patteron, for example, the Wild would, in theory, lose two and a half more games um, with him out of the lineup than if he was in the lineup. So um, these values are taken year to year, um, so they can change over time, and then players can have like a cumulative war over their career, so they might have been worth... 30 wins over their career and like bad players might be worth negative um you can Mm -hmm. be negative too so um in terms of defensemen there is another metric called expected war or x war which is thought to be a better evaluation of defensemen has some slight differences but that's probably what i'll talk about next week so not to confuse you too much but just know that uh, is in play as well and uh spoiler alert jared spurgeon is the number one defenseman in the nhl in terms of x war so uh, (laughs) small brag um, and then one important distinction I want to make when we're talking about replacement level players is it's not the same as an average player. So a replacement player would have a war value of zero, and an average player is usually between like a zero and a one. So think of like maybe like a bottom six forward versus like a, a 13 forward, kind of the difference there. So it's important to remember you're not comparing to the average player, replacement player. That's an important distinction to make. Um, and then here's kind of just a, a frame of reference uh, for how um, Evolving Hockey classifies players' war value. So if it's six to seven, they're considered like a unicorn. Mm-hmm. Uh, five to six, a smaller unicorn. If the value is four to five, MVP. Uh, three to four is a superstar. Two to three is an all star. One to two is a good player. So you don't want an average player, and so on and so forth. As you get in the negatives, obviously, you don't want a player that brings negative win value to your team because mm-hmm. that means by having them in the lineup, they're hurting you or they're helping you. Um, and then, final little note here: there is some speculation that WARs can be flawed because it relies on assumptions, and like the data that we have isn't necessarily like complete enough and sufficient enough to properly mm-hmm. solve like how we capture a player's value. So, by no means is it an end-all be-all metric. Like, don't hear this be like, "Oh, WAR is going to be the only way I evaluate players from now until the end of time." No, don't do that. That's just, it's really good idea to get you started. Okay, this player has a WAR of negative like i was watching him thought he was better now because the other things to look at okay when he's on the ice what am i actually seeing it can get you to start thinking about players differently Mm -hmm. um and now just to throw just a couple more uh examples in here of wild players um, that you know we know are underrated but just to bring a little more light to it this is all based on last year uh the top three wild players last year in terms of war at forward were jewel Erickson Eck. he had a 2.1 which was tied for 34th Among all NHL forwards, tied with the likes of guys like uh, Brock Besser, Brendan Gallagher, Max Domi, Travis Konechny. Uh, Kevin Fiala was the second best forward at 1.7, which was tied for 64th among all NHL forwards with players like Evgeny Malkin, Jake Gensel, Riley Smith, and then Eric Stahl and Ryan Hartman uh, were tied for third at 1.6. So you can kind of see where, like you can see the offensive players and the defensive players and how it can really kind of level that playing field when evaluating them. Uh, their best defensive, I already talked about, Jared Spurgeon, uh, 2.5, 11th best. Uh, Brodeen, 15th in the NHL at 2.1. Suter, 22nd at 1.9. Wild blue line uh, by war, I think, is the top blue line. Might be might be like two behind like Nashville or Carolina, but it's it's right up there. And then uh, the three worst players, uh, one of them is no longer on the team. Luke Cunnan uh, had a negative .6. Which was 529th out of 558 forwards. Uh, that was a minimum of one game played. Um, mm-hmm. So it might be a lower number if you take out, if you add in a minimum number of games. Uh, Brad Hunt had a 0.3, which was 130th out of 298. Not that bad. And um, then Miko Kuevu also had a 0.3. I uh, was 259th out of 558 forwards. So in reality, the Wild didn't really have a bad player last year outside of uh, Luke Cunning. So uh, that's a really high level overview. I tried to explain it simply. <laughs> gonna take too much time. Do you guys have any questions or could you think of questions that um, a listener might have about war?
1: Well I just have a first comment is so is uh Yule as good as Brock Besser then?
0: <laughs> in terms of war yes but the way they bring that <laughs> I mean, value I I, yeah. but in terms of where the value they bring is different. So Besser's value is gonna be driven a lot more oh, yeah. by what he brings offensively. X will be driven by a lot more defensively And this is often like the way you can look at this is ramp him or regular just a plus minus, which we'll talk about on another show as
2: well. But yes, good question. (laughs) I have one curious question. How does a player like Ryan Hartman end up with a better war than like, say, Zach Creasy?
0: It probably comes down to defense. And then also what his, he's a really good penalty killer. And basically, I mean, you, the wilds, Fourth and third line players are really good at suppressing defensive zone chances. Like that line was like ridiculous. Mm. So basically, when they're on the ice, other teams aren't generating really good scoring opportunities, and that can really help boost his numbers. And then oh. the fact that he would still produce offensively on occasion helped as well. Got it. Cool. And then most of this stuff is adjusted for your time on ice, your competition stuff as well. Again, mm-hmm. it's not perfect, but that's can kind of where it can all sprinkle all right. in. All right, and that'll be probably one of the more lengthy explanations because there's a lot that goes on with war, but I think it's a really good starting point. So I'll refer back to it a lot. Um, again, evolving-hockey.com, like a $5 paywall per month, or if you just want to do it for a month just to look at it. Um, really great tool where you can find war. Um, for I think they have data going back to 2007, I want to say, or 2008. So you can look at past data, look at players, Um, I'll try to post some resources as well, where you guys can find it uh, on the podcast page. So, (sighs) all right. Thank you. So that's some analytics. Hopefully that's helpful. Feel free to leave us feedback. Um, You can direct it specifically at me, um, whether it was good, too much, too long, uh, good enough, perfect. uh, Let us know. Because like I said, news segment, we always want feedback uh, on that. All right. This is the Minnesota Wild podcast. We've hit on the prospects. We hit a little NHL news. We hit a little AHL news. Let's get into the meat and potatoes. Let's get into the Minnesota Wild. Let's start with probably the biggest news for the Wild: Jared Spurgeon is the new captain.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's I think it's definitely the right decision. I mean, you know, there is obviously people were big on Marcus Foligno, a guy like him last year because he's you know more of the you know noticeable in terms of you know being loud and whatnot but i think you know every, everyone knows about the uh, jared's version how great of a player person team it is i mean it's been written and talked about a thousand times so i mean you know it's 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 i think it's just a great decision and i you know i i know there was a lot of obviously people debate about this i i personally uh doesn't really matter to me all that much like i would have been fine whoever was named the captain but uh, i think based off of the direction that uh Bill Guerin and uh, Dean Denevison want to take the team I think they uh, definitely made the right choice
2: absolutely I I think the writing was kind of on the wall with the contract that he was given like the Mm seven-year contract and the fact that it was basically the first move that Guerin did with the wild under his helm and you know he's just that type of player that just kind of leads by example and you know makes everyone feel welcome you know you kind of see online what he did for Capristo even before he was in the states just reaching out to him and making sure he feels you know comfortable you know if he needs anything or has a question about anything just to reach out to Spurgeon you know he's you know not like outspoken but he's he's a leader still
0: he's just like he's one of those guys like I'm trying to think of a comparison. Like Henrik Lundquist, who like no matter what fan base you talk to, like no one seems to hate Jared Spurgeon. Like everyone just likes Jared Spurgeon. Yeah. I don't know how you couldn't. His story's great. He basically earned his way into the lineup. He was undrafted. He was basically invited to a tryout, got a contract, started in the AHL, got called up, made the most of it, and has never looked back and has developed into a easily a top ten defenseman. And I think he's in the argument for right now being even a top five defenseman. So mm-hmm. he earned it, and that, I, don't, I don't know how else to put it. I mean, he's just – he's a likable guy. It was the choice I would have made. I think Felino's a good chance, but there's too much in limbo with his contract and stuff. I, I love I love Spurgeon. I think he's going to be an excellent captain, and if, he's going to be a great guy to follow in the footsteps of, of, uh, of Miko.
1: Yeah. And I think a, a good point that Justin made is, you know, like basically the first move that uh, Darren made was to give him a seven year extension with the richest cap hit in team history. So like you said, that obviously like he,
0: he dollars nonetheless.
1: Too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was, you know, it's obviously pretty telling then before even seeing him play a game as the GM of the team that he was uh, willing to commit to him long-term. So yeah, no agree. It was a great choice.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, I read through comments I don't know why I do this to myself, but um, <laughs> I read a few comments from other fan bases, like the I think the NHL Instagram page. Oh boy! It's like, yeah. oh, why isn't it Suter? I'm like, well, for one, Suter didn't want it. I'm like, oh, Suter must be like so mad. I'm like, I don't
1: like. I don't think he keeps he want... like... Yeah, he's like ending the
0: Suter slander needs to end. The only slander yeah. we tolerate is his wrist shot on the power play hitting a shin pad. That's only... <laughs> Suter's been tolerated, and I say this too, I, I think I Thank believe I this, uh, but Ryan Suter has been attempting to reach out to Krill Kaprizov for five years. Yeah. <laughs> and like Russo decided to just tell us now, and I'm like, that's a leader. Yeah. There's never been the problem.
1: Oh God, you could, I great could go
0: defenseman. on. his contract is completely worth it. As I just talked about, he's still like a top 25 defenseman at age freaking 35. Duncan Keith isn't. Brent Seabrook isn't. Burns has fallen off a cliff. Carlson's starting to fall off a cliff. Like He's still very good for his Mm -hmm. age. Shut up about Suter. He's great. He's a good leader. Mm It's not No more Suter slander. Sorry.
1: (laughs) Can I I just step in for one second? Yes. And the fact that he basically shredded his ankle a couple years ago and is still as good as he is is like – I mean, you know, like like Brett said, I, for some reason, like Brett was saying, if you go into comments, there's always a, ooh, I saw one comment in the Athletics saying that uh, Suter was talking to Kaprizov just so he could have him on his side in the next locker room politicking. And it's like, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah. It's like, I don't know where that started. I, I truly
2: don't. You just need to stay away from the comment section because you hard. just... It's hard. Though. Over it's hard. It. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. It's yeah. not a great place. It's not.
0: No, it's not. It's, it's a toxic place, and now I realize why Russo blocks people.
1: So. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah.
0: So and no man. more suitor slander. This is a pro Ryan Suter podcast, with the exception of him taking wrist shots into shin pads. That's the only suitor yeah. slander
2: that's allowed. The but,
0: um, he's yeah. now on the second power play unit, which we'll get into that later too. Um, all right, guys. So Jared Spurgeon, next captain. Great decision. No more suitor slander. Uh, let's dive in now. Full to the wild. He's in preview. Guys, oh, I is here. Yeah, he's is here. Team. He's doing interviews. He's, he's smiling. Dangling.
2: It's great. He's creating he it. His porn with his shots. He's Oof. He's just...
0: Do you guys see his highlight of the shootout goal today? Oof. yeah, He, oh, yeah.
1: he like, lost it and then got it back. I don't think he lost again. it. Yeah, well, it, 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 it was like a fake. There. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He
2: looks as advertised in camp at least.
1: And I think, you know, the, the the funny thing is I know I don't know if you guys listened to his uh, Zoom interview or the audio or whatever that the wild did yesterday I but haven't uh,
0: to it
1: yet no but but I think you know the one of the fun parts was he was you know they asked him like where does your creativity come from in all these moves you do and he was saying that you know like a lot of great players like you said it just kind of comes to him in the moment I mean he can just do those kind of things and you know I think that video I think it was from one of the news outlets that got tweeted out uh, yesterday of uh, when he was in practice uh, doing the one-on-ones with uh, Jared Spurgeon and Ryan Suter I mean the first one he kind of was skating in and did Back spin around and backhand oh, yeah. and then the other one he did the kind of you know where you kind of almost like toe drag it but then let it slide through your legs and go out the other way and cut around to the net and i mean you know that's a move i've seen him and do in the khl so many times so i mean it's you know sometimes i still i, I think of the season i honestly kind of forget and can't believe that you know he's actually going to play a game here after so long
2: it's exciting yeah, you I, guys of course you guys saw it but that instagram video of dumba mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Watching the World just dumb, but giving mm-hmm. crap, just it <laughs> And on. like,
0: it was funny too because I don't know if people picked up on this, but like, Kaprizov had this like little tiny smirk on his face, yeah, like mm-hmm. no, but, like, he was, like a likable guy. Like, oh, yeah, it, there was. A, it seemed like there was like a like one of the big concerns was how would he integrate into the locker room? Mm-hmm. Uh, every picture I see, the guy is smiling, and I don't yeah. know if this guy is bubbly as can be. Like, I. Mm-hmm. I'm not worried about that integrate. like the style uh-huh. of being adaptation, but I think his fit in the locker room, like the locker room atmosphere to me right now seems as good as, it's- as I can ever recall it being in wild history. Like it just seems like it's a group of guys that love being around each other and just rooting for each other. They're not concerned about mm-hmm. what they're playing. they just want to help the team win and do their job.
1: Yeah, and I think you know, I mean, you know, another point is in a lot of his interviews, like I mean, like you're saying, he seems like just a really happy kid, really always having fun. And I mean, you know, it seems like you know, in his interviews a lot of time he's always you know kind of laughing, just you know, not doesn't he doesn't necessarily in the in a, in a good way take himself too seriously. either. so you know, it's just uh, it's just exciting. Now we can just you know, I think from you know expectation wide the translation to ice, I think you can probably give him a couple few weeks, but I mean with everything we see and even now in training camp I mean albeit it's just practice but you know I, I think he's the real deal like it's just, it's just yeah, all, I'm well, so excited so let's excited.
0: talk about it. I know we've we kind of talked about um I believe with someone on here about um I think it was with Isha and uh, Hoppy about um Kabrizov should be the favorite for the Calder he's mm-hmm. not betting odds so I might go put some money down on Kaprizov. <laughs> but He's gonna be on the first line right now with it appears to be Zach Parise and Nick Bugstead. Um, so that was a development they originally thought might be Marcus Johansson, but Bjugstad. Um, we'll talk about the lines here in a little bit, but let's let's keep it on Kaprizov for a minute. What are reasonable expectations? Um, we've just talked about war, so maybe I'll give a, a war prediction. Uh, for for Kaprizov, let's talk about let's talk about the black and white stats, the goals, assists. What do you guys think is a realistic expectation for, for Kaprizov going into the season? Um, if we think he might be a caller candidate.
2: In a 56-game season, I want to say 30 points. Am I cutting that too low? I just feel like – I mean, he'll be on power play one and he'll be online as of now. But I feel like 30 points is realistic.
1: Yeah. I think I honestly expect a little higher, and I can see where you're where Justin's going with that. And you know that's a little bit low. And I and to be to be fair, I kind of agree with him too. Like, you know, I, I fear that if he's not uh, this point per game monster like Panarin or something right away, that people are going to be going on with the bust, bust, bust stuff. And I mean, first of all, the guy was a fifth round pick. I mean, he's the fact that he's an NHL player is great enough out of that, and anything resembling a top six forward or even a top line star is just absolute icing on the cake but i honestly think that it's not totally unreasonable to expect you know at at the minimum like kind of around 40 points but like That's i mean again I and like but i also wouldn't be i mean i don't i don't certainly expect to be right, right around 50 which is getting close to point per game but i don't think it's unreasonable to expect anywhere from you know 40 to 50 at you know right around there I kind of yeah, that's kind of my head.
0: I was thinking like twenty goals and then maybe mm-hmm. fifteen to twenty assists. Maybe he gets to twenty five goals. That would be pretty sweet. Yeah. Um, maybe like a that'd be a pretty impressive pace. I think he'd be looking at like that forty goal season even. But yeah, I mean, I well to me it all comes down to opportunity. He's gonna play on the first line. He's gonna play on the top power play. Like he's gonna have the chances to succeed. And I think there could be an acclamation period, especially those first. Oh yeah. Like, two. Three, four games. I think you know, obviously you're going to be road and home too, so you might have some adjustments in that sense. But this guy's a good hockey player. Like I don't think the yeah. adjustments going to be as crazy as we think it'll be. Mm-hmm. um I think 40 is very reasonable. How he gets their goals and assists, I think, is another conversation. But let, let's book it. uh Sound the Falcorn expectations is a 40 point season from krill Kaprasov. Um, 30 would be acceptable. Anything above 40 is a big win. Is could, could we agree on that? Is that a yeah. is that a fair yeah. projection?
2: I kind of really? felt like I was lowballing it, so yeah, I'm, I'm all for that.
0: All right. So there That's it right. is. You heard it here first. Kirill Kaprasov put money in the bank, 40 points this year. You heard it here first.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Called all right. So, trophy winner.
0: So Kaprizov is probably one of the top stories heading into the next season, but I think the big elephant in the room, which was addressed in the offseason, was the goaltending. And then, of course, we threw another wrench into it with uh, the Stalock injury. So heading into the season, it's going to be – Cam Talbot, Kapokakinen, let's jump in your expectations for the wild goaltending. Uh, let's go with uh, Justin. You can start this one.
2: Um, I mean, I kind of answered this question in the article I was with in Felska. I, I kind of feel like Talbot is, I mean, he's been better than Dubnik, so I feel like we could have, you know, slightly more wins because he's in our net and he still, you know, he stops the pucks he's supposed to. Mm-hmm. And he's still playing in front of a, a top five D core. I, I just feel like you know he has the chance. We have the chance to be better than last year with you know just goaltending alone. So we had a lot of losses because of shitty goaltending. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I I think the most the key thing you said is if Talbot stop stops the shots he's supposed to, which like doesn't sound like an outlandish thing to ask of your goalie, but. The, right. the fact of the matter is Dubnyk did not do that last year at all, ever. Mm-hmm. He was one of the worst at doing that. So I think that that's like the key phrase for me.
1: Yeah, I guess uh, for me too, I think that, uh, I mean, really, I mean, you look at it, it's kind of like uh, the, with their goal last year and like, for example, when players have a bad shooting percentage or whatever, I don't think it can get any worse. And I think it pretty much can only go up. I mean, you know. Even if uh, the Talbot and the Kakanen aren't great and they both put around, let's say, like a 9-10 uh, behind with those guys putting up, uh, an, an av- you know, I don't know, maybe 9-10, 9-15. But if you get it right around there, I think that'll be more than enough to, you know, keep the Wild in all their games, uh, give them a chance to win every night. And uh, really with this team and their defense, all like you guys are saying, all they really need is their goaltender just to give them a chance to win every night and keep them in the game, which as you said, they didn't get last year. So I think it'll be interesting because, I mean, Talbot, he had that one great year in Edmonton. And even though he was kind of more of a platoon when the Henrik Lundqvist was injured in New York back a few years ago, he was also really good. So I think, you know, that uh, Talbot it could be, you know, s- rather it could be sneaky good this year, if uh, depending on how it goes. So
2: Right. And, you know, yeah. I'm also excited to see what Cackney can do. I hope he gets like 15 to 20 starts. Mm-hmm. Especially with the back-to-backs.
0: Yeah, I wanted to hit on that next. Uh, one, one more final thought for me on Talbot is I I think there are examples of like average goaltenders being good in front of good defensemen. Uh, let, t- take a look at Carolina for example. Peter mm-hmm. Mrazek and James Reimer aren't anything spectacular when it comes to goaltenders. Like no one yeah. thinks of them as superstar goalies, but they put up good numbers because Carolina's got good defense. Andre Vasilevsky, hate to break it to any big Vasilevsky fans, he's probably not a top five goaltender despite having won some Veznas, Mm-hmm. Tampa Bay's defense and offense is just in front of him is that good where he just has to make the stops he's supposed to and he gets really good numbers because of it and I think that situation that we're hoping to see here with Talbot I think he can kind of rebound because Edmonton's defense is putrid and that's they've yeah. been that way forever it's always been their knock is yeah they have this really good offensive group because they keep winning the lottery and taking good forward but they just they fail to address defense and I still don't still don't think their defense will be very good this year, but I think the offense will make up for it. Tangenting. Um, but I think he could easily be better than he was last year with Edmonton, uh twenty-two twenty-four starts, I believe. He was 10 and one, two sixty-three goals against, nine nineteen save percentage. If he does that with the wild, we're in good shape. Right.
1: Yeah. We and Katton,
0: in his five game sample, three one and one, two ninety six goals against, nine thirteen save percentage, not bad. Mm-hmm. I think that <clears throat> All right, so Justin you started to get into this a little bit. What I think I don't want to sound rude saying this, but I think Alex Stalock getting hurt was a good thing for the Wild in this way and that he earned his spot to play this year, right? Like he carried this team down the stretch. He was the playoff goalie. He played great in relief of Dubnik, But we we needed like with the expansion draft coming up, we need to know we had in Kakinen, yep. but That couldn't be done by sending Staylock to the minors, and we couldn't roll into the season with Staylock and Kakanen as the one-two punch. It just can't. But now that Staylock is hurt, Kakanen has his chance. I think it was the best thing to happen in that sense in that Kakanen's going to get his look without having to punish Alex Staylock. Sucks that he's hurt. I'm not saying that I'm happy that he's hurt, but I think this is good in the sense that the Wild can get an evaluation of Kakanen. What are expectations for him? How many games do you think he should start in a 56-game season?
2: I, I mean, I said before, I think 15 to 20 would be reasonable, especially with some of these back to backs. You know, they got to, you know, of course Talbot's going to be the main guy, but they kind of got to see what they have because, the, like you said, the expansion draft is coming up and they need to see what they have in him and, you know, see if he's the future of this franchise or if they need to move move in a different direction
1: i think uh, justin's right like 15 to 20 would uh, be ideal because especially because i think that uh you know since they went out and signed uh, talbot as free agent i think they'll more they're more likely to like ride him hard and give uh, talbot the benefit of doubt in a lot of situations but you know as you guys said with a lot of back-to-backs and playing games against the same team in the same city including a stretch where they play colorado four times i think in around march or something which will be interesting but i think that definitely gives me the opportunity and uh you know, as you guys said, it'll be, that's a, it'll be an interesting storyline next year for their goaltending expansion draft, you know, depending on how Cack and Talbot play. Cause I could, I'd imagine that, uh, you know, if, if they're both, let's just say both average, both decent that, uh, you know, they'd keep the younger guy, the prospect mm-hmm. that they've developed in their own system and, uh, expose, uh, Talbot to Seattle. But, uh, I know that'll be an interesting storyline. And, uh, overall, you know, like you said, you don't wish injury on everybody. And obviously Stalock is a pretty a uh, big part of the locker room and everyone on the team seems to love him too but uh, it's definitely an opportunity to see what they got
0: yeah i couldn't agree more uh i think an ideal split is like a for me it's either like a 60 40 or 65 35 which would be kind of right mm-hmm. in that 18 to 22 range so i i think 20 games is good i think would be a reasonable expectation for kakinen and i f- and again, we've talked about how good this wild defense is. He looked – he was 3-1-1 and in five starts last year. I don't know who the opponents are off the top of my head. Um, but, I mean, he still won the games. So it seems like he made the saves he was supposed to. He took a shot on empty net <laughs> in a game too. So, Oh, yeah. Um, I about that. I mean, to me, the thing with Kakinen is, like, he – was the goalie of the year in Iowa, 207 goals against, 927 save percentage, seven shutouts. To me, he had nothing else to prove in Iowa. Like He he proved he deserves a look, and he's going to get it, and I'm glad that he's going to get the chance to show what he can be for the future. Maybe a good 1B to Jesper Wolstead. Yeah, we'll see. see.
1: I will, let me just jump in with something uh, goaltender-related. This is not Wild-related, but uh, uh, I will also not tolerate the Yaroslav Eskerov slander. Nope. (laughs) Five yeah, games, people. Come kid. on. I rode, I banged his drum for too hard for too long, and just, I just – this is unrelated, but I just had to mention that.
0: So. Yeah, I, I think that's an important thing for the World Juniors in general is don't just get games, yeah. about a five- to seven-game sample size. Yeah. Use the other 200 games before that as a much better indicator. Mm-hmm. And especially don't judge an 18-year-old playing against you know 19- and yeah. 20-year-old because especially oh, with both mm-hmm. in development – one year makes a big difference, and so on and so forth. And although as I said before, it can be a five-year development curve too. So he's still very early on.
1: Although the uh, the the Ashcroft stick count was pretty funny, though it was so, yes, so
2: that know. was good. That was pretty good. Uh, by the way, uh, Cacanin faced New Jersey, Florida, Anaheim, Edmonton, and
1: Chicago last year, so winning two, against winning against
2: New Jersey, Florida, and Edmonton.
1: And I will, I think that's a like just so he won the first three games then uh he won let's see it would have been three of the first four looks like okay. he had an
2: okay. overtime against anaheim and then a loss against chicago mm-hmm.
1: yeah because i was gonna say i feel like i remember him you know his his stats are still solid but i feel like i remember like the last game or so That was or that game in chicago i think was probably not his best game so i mean it's obviously again like we were just saying a sample size not too much but uh you know, despite not being maybe the biggest or most talented goaltender, I think, you know, what you saw, like you guys were saying, in the AHL and that 5 year sample the, size, there's definitely a potential to be at least a back, good backup there, hopefully.
0: Yeah. yeah. All right. And the other thing I did want to put into too, was something that could affect the goaltending, and not only do the Wild basically have a new tandem. Not basically, they do. They have a new tandem this year. There's also the new goalie coach. Uh, don't forget about Frederick Chabot um, right. from the Iowa team who's worked with Kakanen before. Mm-hmm. Um, no more Bob Mason back there, so I think that will be something to watch too, is to see how maybe that could change in deployment, how we see them, you know, play pucks different, you know, just little minor things um, that could be affected by a uh, a new goalie coach uh, as well. Good stuff. All right, a uh, couple more things here. I know we're going long, but uh, start of season three, we're okay with that. Um, let's talk about the line combinations. We touched on the first line Parisi, you said Caprisoff. Um, and then the second line, these are from Russo. As of now, things could change, but to me, they look like pretty realistic. Uh, second line is uh, uh, Marcus Johansson, Nick Bonino, Kevin Fiala. Uh, third line is Greenway, Eric Sinek, uh, and uh, Marcus Felino. Fourth line, uh, Nico Sturm, Victor Rask, Ryan Hartman. And then presumably at some point, Marco Rossi will be mixed in at some point for at least six games. We can assume, I think, at this point. Then the defensive pairings are what they usually are. Suter Spurgeon, Brody Dumba. Susie is number five, and it appears we'll probably see some sort of rotation between uh, Brad Hunt and Greg Paterin. And then we already touched on the goaltender. So, guys, what were your reactions to the Lions? I know for me, the top six didn't shape out quite as I expected.
1: Yeah, I guess the the kind of interesting thing that off the bat that I saw was uh, with uh, moving Marcus Johansson to the wing on the second line, because it seemed that uh, when they acquired him for Eric Stahl, that they were kind of going to try to, I guess, in a way, like force him at center, even though his one season playing center in Buffalo didn't go that well. So I think that uh, being on the second line with Benino and Fiala, and while I don't think, I think Benino is obviously older, I think he's more of a defensive center, but uh, I think it was a... It was. I think I'm pretty intrigued to see him playing his natural position on the wing with uh, Fiala on his other winger alignment too.
2: Yeah. I, I thought I'd see Eck possibly move up in the top six, see what he can do there. But yeah. that third line, if Greenway can make steps and Eck can make steps, sounds like it could be fun. Just kind of depending on how the, the young guys develop.
0: Uh, Nick Bonino had a sneaky 2.2 war last year. Which would have been the good. best among the wild forwards. So, like, he's kind of like an under the radar veteran a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Again, kind of like in that same boat as like Felino, though, where a lot of that value comes from defense. But, like, I kind of like it because you have kind of a, you know, Marcus Johansson's kind of a speedy playmaker. I mean, he's had some down years, but you have that. You have kind of a just a, a responsible mm-hmm. centerman, good on the faceoffs. And you pair that with Kevin Fiala. Sounds a little bit to me like uh you know the uh the line that was put together. You have your kind of your Boldy uh mm-hmm. Caulfield line. Like you just have kind of three guys whose games might complement each other really well. And I think there's room to move stuff around too. Obviously, I don't think we're going to see these lines all year.
1: Well, oh, yeah, because all- Zuccarello, Zuccarello so, yeah, yeah
0: you get Z- Zuccarello not there. Um, so things can change, but yeah, it, it's interesting. I think like you look the top three lines to me, I think all could kind of be looked at as maybe a top line or not a top line, but like kind of a, a one, three, one Bs, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, it gives them good depth. That third line is always just going to be dominant. Greenway, yeah. Eric Snack, right. Felino, like good luck scoring on that line. Have fun. <laughs> um, like the RAS is going to get a chance. Right. Redemption time. I'm excited I mean, to see you stern hopefully yeah. be a full-time guy this year to see what he can bring um, I can... the big thing for me i guess was like that greg pattern is going to be like a, a part of the defensive rotation i just expect him to be kind of an injury guy but it seems like they're really considering bouncing him and hunt back and forth and i thought for me mm-hmm. it was hunt was kind of a no-brainer
1: yeah i mean like uh, i think we'll get into this when we talk about the power play in a minute but it seems you know that hunt is that he's pretty much here because he's you know a power play asset and so i also saw that uh, you know, if, like you said, Brett, if, if Pattern rotates in and out, that, uh, that'll subsequently bump Brody up to the second power play unit. But, uh, no, I definitely thought it was, that was definitely interesting too, because it seemed like last year, which I think Pattern had like a, a sports hernia or something like that, some sort of surgery that, uh, it seemed like he might have been a guy that could have been placed on the LTI or something for a while. But, uh, I mean, you know, I guess it, I guess I don't really remember how good or bad he was, uh, when he played for the That's wild true. last year. But, uh, you know, he, he was given a three year contract. So, uh, you know, hopefully he does well in that bottom row.
0: Yeah. So Zeke, you touched on power play. Let's talk about that because there's been a lot of speculation and I can tell you this PP one excites the hell out of me. Yeah. As of now, this has been in practices. Kirill Kaprizov, Zach Parisi, Kevin Fiala, Matt Dumba, Jared Spurgeon. Let's fucking go. That is like for the first time in a long time, yeah. like, a scary power play unit.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, the question was uh, before training camp is, you know, is, are they going to want to spread the wealth out a little bit on the power play? Uh, you know, with guys like pre Fiala, and and, uh, you know, but uh, I think like Bruce, I think that the key the interesting thing is that they got the, had Zach Parise out there ta- practicing draws uh, to kind of, you know, take the face off in that first unit and continue to be more of the net front presence guy, because I think he was like sixth in the NHL on power play goals last year with like 12. Yeah. So you know, I think they probably didn't want to take him off there. And I think
0: you got to keep prezi in his office. Yeah, right? Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of what he brings to this team value wise. So, but no, I think, you know, for the, like you said, first time they should have, you know, pretty much every one of those guys is kind of an offensive weapon on that unit. Yeah. yeah I mean, but...
0: you, look, you look at it, Capri, Fiala Preezy, Dumba Spurgeon. I mean, that's five guys who are a threat to shoot at all times. Mm-hmm. I think it, it it, it, re- it reprograms how you have to defend it because, you know, in the past we have seen, seen wild power plays and it was kind of just Fiala on the top. unit I believe it was Dumba on the second unit. Mm-hmm. And we started to see teams kind of figure it out. Like, Hey, if we take away their one shooter, it, they yeah. can't really do much else. But now with that top unit, it's like, good luck picking which guy you're covering. You want to cover the wings? Fine. We'll throw it on net and Parisi. will jam home a rebound. You want to cover Parisi? Fine. We'll throw it outside and Fiala will rip one. You want to cover Fiala? Fine. We'll throw it back to Dumba and Spurgeon who will rip- will cool rip clap bombs by you like mm-hmm. speaking of Dumba I think that's the other thing that surprised me is that for the first time in a long time I think we're, we're seeing Ryan Suter pulled off the top power play unit um for Dumba and Suter's been really good in the power play I think he was like top 10 in assists last year in the power play but um been slid to the power so that was the other big surprise for me but again yeah. I'm I'm pumped for that power play and I believe uh Tony Abbott has an article about um the wilds power I haven't got a chance to read it yet but I'm gonna check it out after the show here about uh, just what we talked about, the the first power play in it being uh very, very exciting.
2: Yeah, I, that's what I noticed too his suitors off there and not like he's a bad player, but I, I you know, with Spurgeon and Dumba back there, you have a lot more mobility, I feel like. You know. Heck
0: yeah. It's gonna be fun. I'm excited to see yeah. that power play in action. But because we have a stacked PP one, um PP two is a little more eh to me. Um we'll see what it looks like, but uh Per Michael Russo, uh, in practices, this has been the second unit as of now filled with newcomers up front uh, with Marcus Johansson, Nick Bonino, and Nick Bugstead as the forward group. And then it sounds like Ryan Suter has been the one quarterbacking. And then it's been kind of a rotation of uh, Brad Hunt and Jonas Brabine. Obviously, that who plays there uh, will depend on who's in the lineup um, on a given game. But uh, what do you guys make of this unit?
2: Uh, definitely not as exciting and, uh, you know, Hopefully we score a ton of goals on the power play one.
1: So they don't
0: have to when power play one to scores every time, you don't need a power right. play. Two. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I don't know. I think again, I just, you know, this is obviously not nearly as good as the first unit, but I am still just kind of intrigued to see what Johansson can do. Cause I think he is a good, pretty good skater. And, you know, has shown in the past to be a talented offensive playmaker. So even though obviously, Bonino and then the other guys in the unit are not, you know, as offensive players. And obviously they probably will not see a ton of power play time. Uh, I'm, I'm still intrigued to see, you know, kind of how they performed. And, you know, like you were saying, it's definitely weird to see a tutor off the top power play unit, but as Brett said, he still has been very good in producing points in the power play. And even though that might've been, you know, in effect because he was always on that top unit, I still think uh, he's a good kind of, you know, quarterback of the play there and you know kind of up on the blue line and can you know pass and d- despite I know people like even you guys you know you don't like always like the wrist shot from the point all the time but w- when there is like a guy open like I-, I do see what they're trying to do with tips and all that but uh, uh you know I-, I I understand that but uh, I I don't know it's obviously not as flashy but I still think there's a few things there to be interested about
0: yeah I'm just curious to see how they run that power play I think like the mm-hmm. first one is they're gonna just shoot, 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 and have yeah. like they're gonna have Capriceau, Yella, Dumbus, Spurgeon, fire pucks, and have Parisi try to bank home rebounds. Like that's how I see it. A little, mm-hmm. there will still be some puck movement there too, but think be a lot more shooting based. Where I yeah. think this one, I could see it more like passing and trying to maybe get uh, like a tip from yeah. Hunter. I think a lot of it'll run kind of through that blue line between Suter, Hunt, and Brodeen. I'm excited to see Brodeen yeah. get some chance in the power play, even if it's half the games. I, I think he's earned the chances to prove he can be more than just a mobile defensive defenseman. Absolutely. So. All right. Let's see. Uh, I think we've touched enough on the centers. Mm -hmm. Do we need to talk about Kevin Fiala?
1: I mean, I guess what else is there to say aside from, you know, you just. I
0: love about Fiala. Why not?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, I I think the the key is obviously is just is he going to continue what uh, how he played off uh, the last you know f- three four months of last season. I mean obviously he was one of the best forwards in NHL. I mean obviously you don't think he's going to produce this all the time at that twenty six over eighteen game pace. But uh, no, it's it, that's just obviously one of the biggest storylines. Uh, you know to see how he's going to do this year after last year, especially with you know a Benino on his center. Yeah.
2: yeah
0: Jeff, anything to add? Uh about Fiala?
2: Uh, not really. I'm just kind of excited to see him and Kaprizov uh, work together on the power play one. Something we've
1: been kind of dreaming
0: Maybe about. forward line at some point. Who knows?
1: Maybe. Because, I, mean, I mean, I know they were, Russo was saying this too, you know, that's like a, if there's a specific situation or there's an offensive zone draw in a game or potentially, you know, even the third period, if they're down by a goal or two, that those guys even uh, just not on the power play could be thrown together at five on five still. So we'll, we'll see
0: wild fans salivate at that thought. Yeah, yeah. I think the one thing I'll add is um, if you haven't listened to it yet, um, Russo did his, I believe it was a straight from the source uh, with Kevin Fiala on Fiala, not the best quote. Um, it was, the, the interview was a little dry at times. So Fiala is kind of going, yeah, that's yep. Yep. Um, <laughs> but um, I think like the biggest takeaway for me, and I think it's something we talked about on this podcast kind of early on um, back in season one was that um about Kevin Fiala and maybe being a little bit affected by the injury mentally and we were 100% right. Uh, Russo asked yeah. him that exact question and Fiala basically said, "Yeah, like when I came off that injury um from the in Nashville like off my injured leg, I was scared to go into the corners and I was cuz like it's just it's traumatic. Like last time you went there, you mm-hmm. broke your femur <laughs> like and then like you said mental that was tough and then shortly after he gets traded um for a fan favorite goes to a new Town in a new city where a GM vouched for him, and he said he he admitted like, yep, I struggled at the onset, but he said now, I, like, I feel great, I'm comfortable. So I think the Kevin Fiala we saw last year is the Kevin Fiala we can expect. Is it quite at that high of a level of point production? I don't think so. I think his shooting percentage was pretty high. I think he's up around like an eighteen twenty. So obviously, be a little regression there, probably down to like a thirteen twelve. But like. I think he can easily be over a point per game player this year. Um, yeah. I think a lot of it might come in the power play. Is it going to come with Johansson and Benino? Probably not, but I don't, like I said before, I don't think those are going to be the lines. So I think the Kevin Fiala we saw last year is closer to Kevin Fiala than we saw when he first got here.
2: All right. And even though he's, he's paired with those two, he tends to create his own offense. Like last year, I remember I was at, a, I went to a few games before the pandemic hit and, just I think it was against Vancouver. He got that one on three and basically all dressed, undressed all three of them and top shelfed it. Like mm-hmm. it's it's. A, I want to see him play with like Kaprizov and stuff, of course, but he can also create his own offense that times. So definitely. All right. So that's enough about
0: Fiala. High expectations for him coming in. He's earned those high expectations. I think he'll live up to them. Let's get kind of the one last kind of question mark heading into this season. We talked briefly about Marco Rossi earlier, but um, he is in Minnesota, still in quarantine. It sounds like he won't be able to go um, tomorrow, and there's some questions of whether or not he'll be uh, cleared to go Saturday. But what do we think, as we're kind of closer to the season, we've seen a little bit of Rossi, what do we think is going to happen with Marco Rossi this season? I think earlier we were pretty convinced he'd get the whole year here. Has that changed for you guys? Is it? Are you still in the same boat?
2: Do, you, what, do you, what do you think about Marco Rossi? I'm kind of on the fence about that. I know we'll see him hopefully for the six games at the very least. And then I think, you know, if he plays like six in a row, kind of base it off that and see, you know, he was one of the most NHL-ready prospects out of this draft, but they'll see if he's, you know, ready. I mean, I want to see him in the lineup, of course. If he's not ready, then, you know, let him go play in uh, the Swiss League and bring him back full force next year. But uh, I absolutely want to see him longer than six games.
1: Yeah, I I agree with Justin. I would like to see him uh, for a good extended time here in the NHL. But uh, just based off what, you know, Russo has been saying like the last couple of weeks now, that it seems that the Wild, uh, unless he comes in in those six games or whatever, and like, you know, is producing a bunch of points and just, you know, looking very good, like a guy who's, you know, ready to be a legitimate top six forward right away. It seems like that they're leaning towards, you know, maybe sending him back to, to play with Zurich because of the you know the contract issue of not wanting to burn a year of his entry-level deal in a 56 game season you know which which is all weird they're only playing seven different teams so I'm a little bit more with Justin and I don't think that I don't think that that should deter them from keeping him on the team if he's looks good and looks like he fits in the NHL but uh, you know I I guess I'm just a little bit more pessimistic on his chances of being here past a couple handful of games.
0: Yeah, I'd say my mind's been changed on where I want him. Like people know, I, I'm a huge Rossi fan. I think he's going to be the legit number one center the Wild have needed. But I don't think there's much of a reason to play him this year, at least to start. Um, So f- for me, what it comes down to is this. I think the division realignment has changed things for me in the sense that like Arizona, San Jose, Anaheim, and LA don't really scare me as teams that threaten the playoff berth. Like, Mm -hmm. I think the Wild are comfortably the fourth seed, but the chance to even push for third. Um, St. Louis has kind of a new blue line. Um, Tarasenko's not going to be ready. Like, I don't think they're the super team that they once were. Um, Obviously, Vegas is going to be good. We know Colorado's terrifying. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think Minnesota's got a legit chance. I don't think they'll finish higher than three, but I don't think they'll be worse than five. And I don't know if Rossi really is going to move that needle all that much. So there's no point in rushing him. Unless, like you guys said, if he if he comes in in those first six games and is, like, a point per game, clearly ready, like, he's, you know, got some incredible chemistry with, you know, whether it's Prezi or Fiala or Kaprizov, whoever he gets the opportunity with, um, I don't see it necessary to, like, rush him. Like, go let him go back to Switzerland or, right? That's where it's playing Switzerland? Yeah, Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let him go back to the Swiss League. Let him play the minutes there. Let him get another year development. It's a shortened season anyway, so like you're already losing. If you burn a year, what is it? Be uh, twenty six games? No, sixteen games. Twenty six. Wait, I'm confused. I am i am not my math is bad. But what's eighty two minus fifty six? Twenty
2: six.
0: Twenty six. So you're already losing twenty six games by letting him play a full season this year, which mm-hmm. I don't know if that's irrelevant. Oh, no. And we've seen like wild prospect probably rush in the past, but. I mean, what it comes down to is I trust Judd Brackett. I trust Bill Guerin. So whatever they decide is the best move, I think it's the best move. My opinion doesn't matter. Whatever they think, they're the ones that interact. But that's kind of where I'm at is for me, like I don't think it's going to move the needle enough to where it's like necessary, but Mm -hmm. I can see both sides. All right. Uh, Last thing we just talked a little bit. I just kind of led into this a little bit, but um, the Wilds division is finally finalized. Of course, on our last show, I believe that we did, uh, we previewed as the Wild being in the Central Division, um, which is no longer the case because they decided to switch it like I think 30 minutes after we uploaded the show, yeah. um, which of
1: it's course. Yeah.
0: But so let's, let's back up. I'm going to talk a little bit about um, the Wild's division, obviously in the Pacific now with Colorado, Vegas, St. Louis, the three California teams, and Arizona. I kind of give my thoughts. I think they're firmly in the three to five conversation, really no better, no worse. Do you guys dissent? Or are you more hopeful, more pessimistic? What do you think?
2: I'm in the same boat as you. I actually did all my divisions predictions. You know, I think we might be doing that next week. Is that what we talked about?
0: Yep. Next week we'll but, dive into division predictions yeah. and Stanley Cup, all that all that fun
2: jazz. Got it. I have them fourth in the division. So I, I, I think, you know, like you said, they could be third, fifth, but I have them listed as finishing fourth.
1: Yeah, I'm uh, pretty much in the exact same boat. Uh, Obviously, like Brett said, Colorado, Vegas, two best. St. Louis is close to them, although like Brett said, there's a few question marks. uh, And I also don't know uh, really how great Jordan Bennington is in goal either. But, uh, you know, yeah, I think they're uh, definitely fourth. And, I mean, like you said, Uh, None of the California teams really scary pretty much at all. I mean, L.A. has a bunch of good prospects, and they'll probably be good in a couple years uh, when the division's back to normal, but I don't see much coming out of them. And then Coyotes. Yeah. Three, three, four years, man. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they'll be great. And, you know, Coyotes, I mean, maybe, but, like, that team is always just in such a mess, and they just never seem to be able to score any goals. That's what I was like,
0: scoring for them. Like, Connor Connor Garland is probably their best player, but, like, He's he's not. No. Anything they do is gonna run through Kemper and Rant and
1: Rand- yeah. That's that's yeah no that's and for sure. That's... we
0: know Darcy Kemper. Yeah, he might go on a five game winning streak, but then he might lose eight in a row. So
1: yeah, especially when he plays wild, he loses his mind. It seems, yep. but uh, no, I think they're. I agree. I think they're probably fourth is probably the best bet.
0: Yeah, that's where I'm at. Um, just that San Jose, their defense, contrary to what people believe, has fallen off a cliff. Like Burns and Carlson, aren't who they used to be. Mark Vlasic yeah. has, like, turned into a black hole. Mm-hmm. Um, and the rest are, like, guys I've never really heard of. Um, obviously, they're running a tandem of Dubnik and Jones. I don't think we have to dive too much into that. Um we talk about Arizona, like, L.A. and Anaheim are rebuilding. They've got some excellent prospect pools. Um, Anaheim's got this guy named Trevor Zegers. Maybe you've watched him. Yeah. He looks like he's kind of good. Um, L.A.'s got Alex Turcott, Arthur Colley. Like, they're going to be good in three, four years, but they don't skim mm-hmm. right now. That rebuild still has a ways to go. Um, I think fourth is a really reasonable spot. Like I said, I think they could push for third. Maybe Arizona's able to ride some hot goaltending and get above the Wild, but um, I don't think a lottery pick appears to be in the Wild's future based on how things stand right now. Other yeah. injuries can happen and change and uproot all of this. And if you know the Wild are on a, you know kind of on that bubble and all of a sudden Garen's like, yep, we're trading everybody, and they kind of blow it up. Care, okay. I it's a win win for the body, of the way, they're going to the playoffs or we're going to get a bunch of uh, draft cap,
1: yeah, online, yeah so. for sure.
0: I don't care either way <laughs> what happens. So, <laughs> my expectations are low for once, like, I don't have high yeah. expectations for this team, and mm-hmm. I just I'm kind of just excited for what is next year in the couple years beyond there to see what happens next, yeah, for sure. All right, I think anything well, else, I think we uh oh, Zeke, you had one more thing. Uh, I, mean, I yeah. don't know if I have one, but uh. Well, Before we close out the show, uh, Zeke want us each to give a bold prediction for the wild, specifically for the upcoming year. Zeke, it was your idea. So we're going to put you on the spot first. Well, Um, I mean, if you have a bold prediction, what is it?
1: Well, I guess the, you know, the kind of first one, this is a little bit, just a gut that I've been thinking about, but uh, with how great the wilds defense is, and with, camp Talbot, like i said earlier he just for some reason really intrigues me like you know maybe it's just me remembering uh the one great year he had in edmonton or the couple like kind of 30 kind of started games here he had in new york but i think that you know with with the wilds defense he'll automatically be just solid probably around like you know that's something like a 250 nine, goals against nine 15 say, percentage, something like that so i think he's solid but I think I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that, you know, he's great behind the wilds defense and with how he showed behind the Oilers defense back then, who was not that good. I'm going to say he finishes, let's say top seven or eight in Vezina trophy voting at the end of the year.
0: All right. Bold, bold. Justin, do you have one or do you need a little more time?
2: No, I got one. I'm going to go with, you know, with that top power play unit being a top five NHL power play unit.
0: I like it. I like it a lot. Um, my bold prediction kind of just pulled this one out of my ass just now, but I, I kind of like it the more I think about it. But to me, I think Jared Spurgeon, now with a C on his chest, a $7.5 million contract kicked in. People finally starting to take note of how good he is. Jared Spurgeon is a finalist for the Norris Trophy this year. And I think right. a power play unit, top D pair, Wilder scores some goals. He's going to mm-hmm. put up some points to get the recognition. I think he finishes top three. As a, as a Norris finalist. Doesn't win it because he won't, because he yeah. won't have points, because voters are stupid, but Jared Spurgeon <laughs> is going to get some Norris recognition this year. That's my bold prediction.
2: I like it a lot. All
0: right, so our bold predictions from the show, Kirill Kaprasov, 40 points. Uh, Cam Talbot and Kap- or Kapokakkanen gets 20 starts. Top five power play. Talbot, top... Like seven-ish. Seven in Vezna voting. And Jared Spurgeon, finalist for the Norris. You heard it here first. Go to Vegas. Put all of your money on all of these things. No, don't do that. That'd be really <laughs> stupid.
2: Put your um, money on Kaprizov uh, uh, Calder.
0: That, <laughs> not bad, because I believe he has the third highest odds right now behind yeah. uh, Frenier, who has been slotted on the. Th- what I've seen has been the- New Jersey's third line with, I believe it's been Philip Heedle, and then kind of a right wing, who I believe as of now is Julian Gauthier. So, yeah. yeah. You-, you tell me, Kaprizov, Parisi. And yeah. uh Bukestad or Hidal, Lafreniere, and Gauthier. You tell me what you like better there. And then Igor Shesterkin, I believe, actually has the highest odds. Who's the Rangers starting goalie? But how mm-hmm. many games do you think the Rangers are going to win when they have a third pairing right now of uh Jack Johnson and Anthony Mateto? So Oof. Uh, <clears throat> you tell me how you think that will go. So that's why I'm a high on Kaprizov. Pre- uh, but anyway, that'll do it for today's show. We pretty much doubled up on our time, but uh season three had to start off with a bang. And what says bang? Like an hour and a half episode with tons <laughs> Of good news about the Wild. Yeah. Uh, got first of many. Uh, as we said, next week will be probably less Wild-centric, more League-centric. Um, the Wild will be probably be p- playing at the as record. Players, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah they're we record. So we're going to have some live reactions as we go, but uh, we'll talk more about the League as a whole. We'll get into those other divisions, maybe make some uh, trophy predictions, some... Mm-hmm be full of predictions and projections for the other leagues so that's what's on store for you next week and then uh lots of fun stuff new still new segments to unveil uh throughout guys any last words to add here before we uh before we sign off i just want to thank
2: you for your analytic segment and the fire intro it was great appreciate it hopefully the listeners like
0: it as well
1: all right zeke anything to add uh, no, just uh, you know, just kind of same thing. Uh, thanks to everyone for listening, and uh, you know, I think we're all really excited to keep get get the hockey season going, and uh, can one we, one we one bring more, you bring yep. you? yeah, less, a little less than about yeah, about a week from now, the Wild will be playing first period in LA, So hopefully. So, you know, just thanks everyone for listening. Uh, we're going to bring a lot of a lot of great shows to come this season. So, all
0: right, and as always, before we sign off, where could we find you guys and your uh, other many hats that you wear?
2: I'm at at MNW prospects with wild prospects and young players. I'm at at D, at D East 2004, and I'm at at Kaprizov C with the Kaprizov countdown, which is coming down to six days tomorrow till Kaprizov plays in a wild jersey. And also yes. oh, a reminder for the podcast that are playing in our podcast fantasy hockey league our draft is tomorrow night.
0: We should uh, probably develop a strategy for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How's that going to go? All right. And okay. what
1: about you? Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at ZB wild Nation underscore HW. Uh, you can find my writing at hockey Wilderness and now also at, uh, at mini ice blog. And also uh, just the last kind of reminder uh, that uh, it's kind of, I think it's kind of confusing when we tweet on the podcast, it's kind of about our fantasy hockey leagues. Cause we have the one that Justin mentioned tomorrow, which is kind of with people who do other wild podcasts. We also have other one with uh, mostly kind of just listeners and us. And uh, that's obviously going to be starting up next week soon. So also just, uh, just a little bit of reminder to you know stay active in that and uh, you know make sure you keep an eye on your lineups and figure all that out too
0: all right good stuff and finally you can find me as always at b underscore marsh 92 the podcast on Twitter at sound the foghorn and also on instagram at sound the foghorn as well that'll do it for the season three kickoff tons more fun episodes to go thanks for tuning in this has been another episode of sound the fog